KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Do you remember the days when people had to be super secretive about using marijuana? When it was only spoken about in whispers or code? I remember when my mom came to visit my college dorm and thought a skunk got in down the hall, and I just let her think that. But now, in 2023, Medical use is legal in 46 states, and recreational adult use is legal in 24 states, plus Washington, D.C. That's almost half the country where it seems pretty normalized, at least on the surface. And New Jersey is one of those states. Once the bills are signed into law by Governor Murphy, certain adults will eventually be able to purchase cannabis for personal use. The Cannabis Regulatory Commission missed the September deadline to begin the licensing process and instead released some rules to move applications along once they started to come in. The start of recreational marijuana sales on April 21st comes a year and a half after voters approved it. The staff cheered as the first customer was welcomed inside. Justin Dugary says he started waiting outside at around midnight because he wanted to be the first. What'd you get? I got a quarter of school lunch. It's been about a year and a half since adult use licenses became available in New Jersey. So we should be good now, right? Anyone can get a license to sell cannabis and it's all smooth sailing and everyone's happy. Not quite. Just got licensed in New Jersey. The process in total was 444 days. You may have seen a dispensary or two pop up near you. Typically, these clean, modern storefronts that look like a cross between an Apple store and a trendy coffee shop. Those are usually branches of a national business with infrastructure built to support expansion. But what about the local individuals and small businesses that were operating quietly before and had to start over when the law changed? Once I decided to apply for a legal license, my lawyers advised me that anything I was doing in my past in the unregulated market had to completely stop. So from that moment on, I wasn't generating a single penny of income to sustain myself. This is The John Cast, a podcast about interesting and unexpected stories from Philadelphia, sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Make memories during happy Honda days. I'm Sabrina Boyd-Circa, and this week, we hear how one woman went from selling cannabis-infused baked goods in the underground market in New Jersey to being the first Black female manufacturer in the legal market in Delaware. We find out what's still holding small businesses back and how two companies on opposite ends of the spectrum wound up working together to expand equity and access in this blossoming business. Okay, what am I looking at here? What is this delicious looking baked good? What's in it? Literally brownie topped with peanut butter and jelly. Amazing. I met Mata Figaro in her natural environment, in the kitchen. Twice a week, she drives down from New Jersey to Milford, Delaware, where she bakes in the kitchen of a cannabis manufacturing facility owned by the cannabis company. One of my favorite things is peanut butter and jelly. So yeah. To me, it just made sense to add it to a brownie. I'm shocked nobody else ever had this thought before, but... <laughs> it's a classic. It's a classic. So it's like chocolate brownie and then peanut butter and jelly on top. Oh, yeah. Super fudgy chocolate brownie. Like, it's literally made of majority chocolate, not flour and cocoa powder, because that's what mm. makes... Mata is the founder, owner, and driving force behind But A Cake, spelled like, but a cake. You can find her cannabis-infused baked goods on shelves at the cannabis company's dispensaries in Delaware, but that's pretty recent. Buttercake is what's known in the industry as a legacy business. 
It started in New Jersey before recreational cannabis became legal there. So Mata had to start this on her own with the support of a few friends and partners. You know, having Haitian immigrant parents, their ideals for me was, okay, now you're gonna go to college, you're gonna be a doctor, you're gonna be a lawyer, you're gonna be all fancy and stuff like that. And I tried my hand at college and after the first year, I was over it. Instead of going to class, I was baking for the soccer team because that's really what I liked to do anyway. <laughs> so then I dropped out of college. I didn't tell my parents because I wanted to make sure I got into culinary school first. Okay. And I did, so I ended up graduating from Le Cordon Bleu in Pittsburgh. Mata worked various jobs at a restaurant, Whole Foods, nannying, but she always loved baking. She would bake for fun, but she made so much that she couldn't give it away. So she decided to start selling baked goods at a farmer's market, just to see where it would go. Butter cake wasn't a thing. It was just me, some girls selling butter cakes. That was it. Like, it didn't have an yeah. identity or a name. And I went to the farmer's markets and I started selling my cakes and people were like, oh my gosh, what's this? And I was like, it's a butter cake, butter cake. And the more I kept saying it, the more I realized like that's the name of the business, butter cake. So 2015 was the year of the farmer market. 2016, a customer was like, oh, can you turn this into an edible? And I was like, nah, there's no way. <laughs> I'm a black woman, my, page, my parents are immigrants. I'm not going to jail for this. We were standing inside a cannabis manufacturing facility as we talked about this, so clearly she changed her mind. The original ask was from a woman that was getting ready to go through chemo, and she was like, oh, I love your cake, but at this point, like, I need medicine more, and instead of doing the two, can you combine it for me? So she was persistent, and she came back. She asked again, and I said, okay, and then I never stopped. I realized how much I could help. And then as the brand continued to grow, I realized that like, oh, okay, not everybody is doing this just for medicine. Some people are actually doing this for fun, or some people are doing this because they don't like the way weed smells, or some people are doing this because it actually tastes good. So <laughs> as I continued growing in the business, I realized that my products kind of fit for everybody, and food is something that you can- When adult recreational stuff. use became legal in New Jersey, you'd think that would be a big opportunity for Mata. Because so many people came up to me and they're like, oh, it's legal, we love your brand. I had a big client base at that time, but nobody knew what license types were going out or what was gonna be possible. So I kept getting like, oh, you should make an infused bakery or have an infused restaurant. And I was like, it's not that easy. <laughs> yes, it's not that easy. And I had already left that in my past life. So I had no interest in going back to that. She didn't want to work in a restaurant or a shop again. She'd done that before and got really burnt out. Add to that being a black woman and being concerned about what might happen if her past activity came to light. And you can understand why Mata was hesitant. But I was shook it's because at that point now, I had been running a non-regulated cannabis business, essentially underground for five years, six years. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, there's no way I'm getting a license. Like these people are gonna Google me and they're probably gonna put me in jail. But she had a friend who worked in manufacturing, and he suggested a different route. I wasn't able to tie the pieces together until Jimmy, my childhood friend, helped me realize, like, oh, you're not a bake shop. You're actually a manufacturer. Like, you have consistency. You produce the same product over and over and over again. That's what you do, and that's the license we're going to go after. Mata and Jimmy started another company called Canpowerment, with manufacturing at the center. They make cannabis products from baked goods to vapes and beyond for other businesses to sell. Nice. And That's that just got licensed oh, yeah. and everything in New Jersey, right? Just got licensed in New Jersey. The process in total was 444 days. You were counting. I was counting. <laughs> I was wow. counting. 
For those 444 days, over a year, Mata had to stop everything she'd been doing with Buttercake. Once I decided to apply for a legal license, my lawyers advised me that anything I was doing in my past in the unregulated market had to completely stop. Mm -hmm. So from that moment on, I wasn't generating a single penny of income to sustain myself, to sustain rent, to sustain putting food in my fridge. I just feel like, um, especially as a black woman, like the state should be doing better by us. The fact that they gave 48 businesses or something, $250,000 a pop, and when I looked at the photo of all of the people that received that grant money, not a single one of them was a black woman. Mm. Man, I was so disappointed in that, so disappointed. I feel like there could be things to be done that would help us move forward in this industry. Not necessarily handouts, but like, just give us a boost. So Mata was working through this complicated legal process with no income and just waiting. In the meantime, a bunch of MSOs, multi-state operators, were already off the ground and running in New Jersey. They have money. That's what it is. It's, it's not that they have all the expertise in the world, because ultimately, cannabis started in the unregulated market. Right. And a lot of these guys that started an MSO and raised millions of dollars most likely were not participating in the legacy market, hmm. especially in the same fashion that I was. So, yeah. Yeah, I really just think that the MSOs exist because they had money. They had money and they had the connections that I don't. How did things get this way? where big companies were able to jump right into the market while individuals who had established customers sat in limbo. Mike Doherty is the South Jersey reporter for KYW News Radio, and by extension, he's kind of been on the marijuana beat these past few years. So I went to him for a recap. Yeah, so question one was a ballot question in 2020, and it passed with two-thirds of voters saying yes to legalized marijuana for adults. Of course, it wasn't until uh, 421 of 2022 that the first dispensaries actually opened up about 18 months after that initial vote. Other states, you know, had moved much faster than New Jersey, but New Jersey officials said they wanted to do things a little differently here. There was a, an eye on equity and inclusion, and there was a lot of back and forth on cannabis sales over, you know, who would be selling and when and how. And out of the first dispensaries that did open, it seems like most of them were MSOs, right? Yeah, yeah. That was kind of the plan. Cure Leaf and Columbia Care were among their, the first to get their foot in the door. And, you know, it looks like this was by design. The state wanted mature, mature companies with track records to get this ball rolling. And for a number of reasons, that's often the case with business, particularly startups, Capital is always king, and those companies had the money to build the infrastructure that was needed. It would be really hard for, you know, a private group to just sort of jump into this thing feet first. Right. And on top of capital, MSOs tend to be able to do more, kind of top to bottom from growing all the way to selling. Yeah, especially the bigger companies. They're sort of they've got their fingerprints all over the place from growing, manufacturing, cultivation, distribution, retail. The big companies do it all. They're working the market from multiple angles. Most dispensaries, though, you think of it from like a sort of a liquor store perspective. You know, liquor stores aren't producing their own materials, and that's kind of how the dispensaries are, are going to work eventually. But those smaller dispensaries, they're not going to have the money to convert an old warehouse into a grow house. So those bigger players were definitely needed to build this foundation for which everything else can grow. 
One of those bigger players that Mike just mentioned was Columbia Care. They've since rebranded as the Cannabis Company, but they're a good example of what an MSO actually does. So we have about 86 dispensaries throughout the nation. Um, we're one of the longest standing operators in the U.S., and we operate in, in 16 markets. Bali Hayhurst Jr. is the Cannabis Company's vice president of regional operations. While they operate all over the country, he's in charge of the Northeast. Basically covering everywhere from Massachusetts down to Virginia. So it encompasses about nine markets total. In addition to their dispensaries, they've got a couple huge grow houses in the area. So they can grow their own cannabis and offer it to other dispensaries to sell. Yeah, so for example, in New Jersey, there's a lot of licenses that are coming online that are, are possibly just dispensary only or manufacturing only. Um, so, you know, they have the opportunity to come to us to be able to purchase, um, you know, finished goods products that they can put on their shelves at their dispensary or possibly bulk biomass, whether it's flour, whether it's uh, distillate um, and, and sell that to the to the manufacturing licenses so they can make whatever they want then at that point as well. To get a sense of how that all works, Volley gave us a tour of their facility in Vineland, New Jersey. We'll take you inside where they grow, pick, and process their cannabis, and find out how the cannabis company and Butta Cake intersect in just a minute. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. It's the holiday season, folks, and the holidays mean different things to everyone, but whatever the holidays mean to you, get the most out of it in a new vehicle from our friends at Honda. Whether you're traveling to the holiday family dinner in a spacious, efficient Accord hybrid or heading to a hike to burn it off in a powerful, adventure-ready CRV hybrid, your holiday adventure awaits with a new Honda during Happy Honda Days. Contact your local Honda dealer today. And now back to the JohnCast. When Mike Doherty and I arrived at the Cannabis Company's facility in Vineland, New Jersey, we met with Anthony Riccia, the facility operations manager. This is what we refer to as our NCV room or propagation, so the uh, mother clones and veg. From the outside, it's just a big warehouse. There isn't even a sign. We actually tried to go in the building next door at first. We knew we were in the right area from the smell, and eventually we did find it. Inside, it's basically a science lab. You have to put on a disposable lab coat and hairnet, and everything is carefully sanitized. Yep, these are foot baths. Um, so our employees, they don't wear booties. Uh, they have shoes dedicated to the facility. Um, so as they go from when it comes down to it, what they're doing is biology and chemistry. The flower produces the trichomes, which is where the THC and other cannabinoids are, as well as, you know, your terpenes, which are your aromatics. So. It's also a bit of gardening. The whole process starts with propagation, or cloning. Those are basically little uh, cannabis plant babies. Uh, how we create more plants here is actually to grow, say, one seed. We grow it into a large mother plant, as we refer to them. Uh, you can basically take a clipping off that plant just as one leaf. Uh, it'll be genetically identical to the mother plant it came from, and then it'll grow up to you know, produce its own flower as well. So yeah, really one plant can turn into hundreds, if not thousands. It takes about four months total from cloning to harvest, give or take. Once the plant babies have grown a little bit, call them plant toddlers, they move to the bloom room. Show you guys one of the bloom rooms here. So as we exit, you can head to the left there. Uh, and then as we walk into here, you'll see this is where the plants spend the rest of their lives uh, prior to harvest or in essence prior to their death. Um, so 
once they get to this size, they'll stop really growing in essence, you know, spreading out and getting taller. Uh, and they'll dedicate their growth to actually producing the flowers that you see here. Um, so the flowers are essentially the fruit of the plant. That's our targeted component. One of the most fascinating parts to me was that the smell changed at every stage. As you can see, it smells much more pungent in here than it did in the room we were just in. It smells different though. Like, I wouldn't have walked mm -hmm. in here and identified this as, yeah. as weed smell. Mm -hmm. yeah, it smells more like a garden to me. Yep. Yeah. 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 Like a greenhouse yeah. or a garden. Yeah. Yep. The third stage is the drying room, and that's where it starts to smell familiar. So this is a drying room. So these plants were actually cut no, down yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. yeah, it's in this part where the terpenes, those aromatics, so the smell essentially really starts to come through. That's why it smells so much more pungent here. Um, I don't know if you ever smelled like fresh cut grass. Uh, they say that's, that's actually the grass signaling to the other grass that, hey, there's a stressor in the area. Um, so these kind of do the same thing. Yeah. Okay, this probably sounds like a silly question to you. No, no silly questions. But the idea of like, contact high. Mm -hmm. We're not going to get high from walking around and smelling. No, honestly, like... that's not that's not a silly question. It's a question I get from a lot of friends and family outside of the industry and even some, you know, new employees too. Uh, it's not a bad question. Now? Yeah, you feel... But it just was so strong walking in yeah. here that it made me think, you know? Really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but no, you, you can't really get a contact high from just being around live plants or even, you know, dead plants as long as they're not being combusted. Um, it's got to be burned, right? Yep, it's got to be burned. Yep. So, Good news, if I had gotten pulled over when I was driving home reeking of weed, which I didn't, but I worried about it because the scent was fully embedded in the fibers of my clothes. I wasn't actually driving high, so I was fine. The smell is super strong though, from the drying stage onward. So essentially they'll come in here, uh, they'll hang out and dry for a couple weeks, uh, and then at which point they'll go to our processing department uh, to, you know, basically get removed from the stem, get cleaned up, get QC, uh, and then packaged and delivered to, you know, the store uh, in the area. We also saw the processing area, where workers were taking the buds off by hand. And pretty much every room we saw, there were multiple others of the same room. The facility is massive. The cannabis company opened this facility back when marijuana was only legal for medical use in New Jersey. They were Columbia Care at the time. They weren't using a lot of the rooms right away, but they wanted the space to grow. And that meant that once recreational use did become legal, they could scale up easily. They didn't really have to change much, just produce more. And they have a legal team that could work through the licensing process quickly. Unlike Mata Figaro when she was trying to get butter cake and canned powerman into the adult use market. But this is where both Mata and Volley Hayhurst, the cannabis company VP, saw an opportunity. With a legacy operator going to legal, they have to quickly turn off what they're doing in the illicit market um, to be able to pursue their dreams in the in the legal market. Um, so, you know, we wanted to provide, you know, some sort of revenue stream for Martha as, you know, she started up her business in New Jersey. And this was kind of a way to be able to do that. The cannabis company has money and resources that small business owners like Mata don't. And they want to use those to help others come up in the industry. My philosophy, our philosophy is Columbia Care, rising tide raises all ships. So when we see these new licenses come online, um, the first thing we do is call them up. Hey, let's talk about a wholesale agreement. Um, let's get you down here for a tour. 
Um, so we'd love to open up the doors and allow these new licenses to come in, ask questions. We share best practices, share our startup issues that we had, um, and be able to use us as a resource that's been in the market for a long time. We love to pair with anybody, whether it's dispensaries, pop-ups, any, any help with distribution, we're, we're here for them for that. Another friend of Mata's, she has some well-connected friends, new people who worked at the cannabis company. Mata had considered working with other MSOs before, but it didn't feel quite right. But when her friend introduced her to the cannabis company, or Columbia Care, you know, this is starting to sound like a love story. Mata found the one, the MSO for her. I don't even have the words to describe it, honestly. It, it was phenomenal. Fireworks, warm and fuzzy, all those things. Like, I almost couldn't believe that it was actually happening. And the feeling was mutual. Martha has this wonderful energy. She's a fantastic person. And we really, really hit it off. Um, so I was like, I think I can get you launched in Delaware very quickly. You know, what's your thoughts on a partnership there, along with New Jersey? The cannabis company helped Mata in several ways. Their legal team helped guide her through the process of getting a manufacturing license in New Jersey. And in the meantime, she was able to sell butter cake products for medical use in the cannabis company's Delaware stores. She already has her playbook to be able to produce her SKUs and her products, and her products are fantastic. Maybe this is just one step where we know, you know, it's either weeks or months of, of legal fees that could add up. Um, it's, you know, the infrastructure costs of building out a kitchen, all those types of things. We have all that prepared and ready to go for us. So um, that's where a partnership like this just makes too much sense. I get support in every single possible way. If I have questions about, like, I don't know, sharpening up my formulation skills. They're, they have every answer. I have questions about marketing. They answer my questions. I've never actually like put my own merchandise products into a store, you mm. know? So they help me with that, like making sure that the brand looks nice, looks good. They help with distribution, which is amazing. The cannabis company and Butter Cake announced their partnership on 4-20-2023, at which point, Mata became the first black female manufacturer in the cannabis industry in Delaware. And as of today, December 14th, she has products on shelves in New Jersey for the first time, starting with dissolvable strips. But since the state recently approved the sale of cannabis-infused baked goods, that should be coming soon, too. Right now, she says she has the first legacy-owned and made products on legal shelves in New Jersey. And she's launched Canpowerment to help other small businesses get off the ground. I took my own brand out of the legacy. I rinsed it through at MSO and I'm figuring out how to be an independent operator so yeah. that I can like help other people and just create like a more interesting marketplace in New Jersey. Mike, you've been following this from the beginning for KYW News Radio. You've really seen the growth of the cannabis industry in New Jersey from day one. Where do you feel like things stand now? Are we in a good place or are there still flaws to be addressed? Well, the beginning of this and even still, the, the, the goals of equity inclusion were always where the Cannabis Regulatory Commission wanted to prioritize those things. They wanted to make sure that minority business owners are getting in. And they have been improving, approving those applications as the days go by. Sales are steadily increasing. You know, they're trying their best, Let's put it that way. It, it, it's not for a lack of effort. I think there's a lot of things that are just out of their control, you know, 
some of these businesses have issues getting the money to start. Some of these businesses are having issues finding the real estate, you know, the, the places where they can operate. So the state's doing what they can. They just can't do everything. From my perspective, it seems like they are really trying. There are still, you know, issues with the illicit or illegal market that's still prospering because there's only a limited number of dispensaries still open. So there are some some growing pains that you're going to get when you start something new like this. Mm, yeah. What do you think needs to happen? What would help? Is it something that the state could change in their process? Is it just more opportunities for these individual and minority owned businesses to get off the ground, get some extra support? Like what would help make it more equitable? Part of it is um, money. So, you know, that's the always the elephant in the room when it's business money. Money's a problem. Black owned businesses are having a hard time getting the investment off the ground. So part of why the Cure Leafs and the, and the Columbia Cares and those kind of companies are involved early, some of the tax money that they, they take in, so they, you know, they make sales, they're taxed on that. Some of that tax money is like a seed fund for startups. So as time goes by, as more people get in, that seed money is going to increase. So I think we're going to see more businesses open, which will help more businesses open, which will help more businesses open. The state has approved different types of licensing now, so delivery is going to be coming pretty soon. And that's another way, I think, for sort of minority business owners to get in with very limited, if any, capital to start with. You can be approved as a delivery driver and just use your car, then you don't really need to go out and buy a whole bunch of stuff. And that might be a way for people who might be earning money through like DoorDash and Uber Eats and that kind of thing to diversify their ability to make deliveries as well. So we'll see that happening. But really, it's just going to be kind of a slow burn to see where stores are opening, when they open. And we are starting to see more support for small businesses to get off the ground and for individuals to learn about the industry. There's the Minority Cannabis Academy that trains people on how to start and run a cannabis business. They actually partner with the cannabis company. So in some ways, the plan is starting to work. MSOs were like the seed to get the industry going because they had the money to start. And now they can help others jump in. That's a huge piece for Volley. What's sort of been the most rewarding part of this last year of adult use for you personally to see how things have gone and progressed? Man, I think it's truly, I think it's um, watching the small licenses come online and working with those guys. I mean, these guys will tell you every single day, that's all we're doing is either giving tours, bringing people in, um, sitting down just like this and just talking shop. And that's been a blast. And just hearing, you know, what their dreams look like, what their, what's their next chapter of their life look like. Um, and man, just hearing their, their, their dreams and their goals start to come to life and we can be a part to help that was is tremendous for me. So what's next for Mata? Vali says they're working together to sell butter cake products in more locations. We have the ability to launch in multiple states as they as they fire up. So we're talking Maryland next. We're talking Virginia, uh, being able to bring butter cake on this large platform and, and roll out with it nationally or start regionally and then and then head nationally with it. Usually when people ask me what's next, I tend to tell them that I honestly don't know because mm -hmm. I had no idea. Like if you asked me what was next back in 2015, I wouldn't be telling you anything that I'm telling you right now. And even in 2021, when I applied for the license and I started Campowerment as a business, like, 
When people ask me what was next, I just thought that I was going to get a license. I had no idea I was going to be the first black woman manufacturer in Delaware putting edibles on a shelf. Like I had no idea. So what's next for me is already written and I'm just reading the book to figure it out. <laughs> the Johncast is a KYW News Radio original podcast sponsored by your Delaware Valley Honda dealers. Make memories during happy Honda days. And it's made in Philadelphia by Tom Rickert, Brian Seltzer, Myron Kaplan, Holly Stevens, and me, Sabrina Boyd-Circa. Big thanks to Mike Doherty for joining us on this episode and for letting us tag along on the facility tour. We'll have some pictures of that on X, aka Twitter, at the Johncast, and we'll put a link in our show notes. Follow us on the free Odyssey app or wherever you listen to podcasts to get every new episode and catch up on any you've missed. Thanks for listening. We hope you have a wonderful holiday season and a happy new year.